1: In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a bite-sized selection of the most intriguing stories from across the week. I'm Anne McElvoy, Head of Economist Radio. And on your menu today, the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower Christopher Wiley on how big data has changed the political game, the mystery of the Scottish enclave deep in the hills of Tuscany, and we pay our R-E-S-P-E-C-T to the Queen of Soul. First, it's easy to lose perspective in the investigation swirling around President Donald Trump. But last week, something significant changed. Our cover story reacted to the news that Michael Cohen, Mr Trump's former fixer, had pleaded guilty to tax evasion, fraud and breaking campaign finance laws.
2: Mr Cohen's plea was striking because he was not just Mr Trump's lawyer, he was the guy who made his problems go away. This included making payments during the 2016 campaign to buy the silence of two women who appear to have had affairs with Mr Trump. But Mr Cohen told a court under oath that the money was paid at the direction of a candidate for federal office. In other words, that Mr Trump told Mr Cohen to break the law, then lied to cover it up.
1: If that's true, we wrote, Americans will soon have to confront a simple question. Is Mr Trump above the law?
2: Mr Cohen's plea has made the President of the United States an unindicted co-conspirator in a pair of federal crimes.
1: But the convention since President Nixon's day has been that a sitting president will not be indicted, despite an attempt to do so under Bill
2: Clinton. The constitutional problem that America is heading towards is that the Justice Department's protocol not to prosecute sitting presidents dates from another age, when a president could be expected to resign with a modicum of honour before any charges were drawn up, as Nixon did. That norm no longer applies. The unwritten convention now says in effect that if his skin is thick enough, a president is indeed above the law.
1: The question of
2: whether to remove a president is therefore a matter of politics. Thus far, Republicans in Congress have stood by the president. The only thing likely to change that is a performance in the midterm so bad that enough of them come to see the president as an electoral liability. Although Democrats may well win a majority in the House, a two-thirds majority in the Senate, the threshold required to remove a president looks unachievable.
1: We argued this is a sad moment for America,
2: but it is a shameful one for the Republican Party, whose members remain more dedicated to minimising Mr Trump's malfiescence than to the ideal that nobody, not even the President, is above the law.
1: Let's tune in to the best of the week's podcast now. Our latest episode of The Economist Asks, our chat show, also addressed the limits of the law, this time in policing the brave new world of big data. Our guest was Christopher Wiley, who in March blew the whistle on Cambridge Analytica and Facebook for sharing information about millions of users. But was this an isolated case or a sign of things to come?
3: Cambridge Analytica is very much a canary in the coal mine in the sense that, yes, it was an early adopter of certain methods, but there is nonetheless a, a demand for the services that they provided if you put a concerted effort into creating an influence operation online and you have access to really good tech and technical expertise, you can do a lot. And so I think there is a concern out there that 2016 was sort of this, um, this moment where you know, we saw the confluence of social media and the internet and hostile foreign actors using that as a mechanism to interfere with elections.
1: In Babbage, our science and technology podcast, meanwhile, our Shanghai correspondent, Stephanie Studer, responded to a leaked memo that Google is considering a return to China after pulling out in 2010 in protested censorship. Going back in will not be easy.
4: Google may know that it will be difficult for it to compete with Baidu, which is the main search engine in China, and it has three quarters of the market share here. I visited an internet cafe and they said to me they used Google.cn back in the day, but they'd grown so accustomed to Baidu now that um, they weren't too excited about the prospect of its return. And then those Chinese who are actually using VPNs proxies in order to access Google, they told me that a censored Google just didn't make any sense to them. So, you know, they, they're they going to continue as long as they can to use this software that enables them to get Google and uh, and all its search results, not a censored version.
1: And our finance and economics podcast Money Talks focused on Venezuela, which is a week into a drastic economic experiment to try to control raging hyperinflation. The Bolivar, worth six million to the dollar, has been replaced by a new currency with five fewer zeros. So how does this work in practice? Stephen Gibbs reported.
2: Definitely a gradual process. I actually went to fill up my car yesterday yesterday I paid with the old money and the old price, which is a fraction of a penny to f- to fill up an entire car. The petrol attendant said, as far he, as he was aware, it wasn't going to be until the 20th of September that they would begin charging even in the new currency, uh, which would put prices up by adding 10 zeros effectively to the price. So what we're hearing from within the government is that there's a degree of dispute about how they roll this out.
1: More on that soon, I'm sure. Subscribe to Economist Radio on your podcast app. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating. It makes all the difference. Back now to our print edition and to Italy, where strange and unfamiliar
3: sounds were heard rising through the warm August air. With an evening of bagpipes and polenta, boiled cornmeal popular in north and central Italy, The mountain town of Barga features one of Italy's more unusual cultural festivals, its annual Scottish Week. How did Scotland establish this stronghold in the Tuscan hills? For more than five centuries, Barga had been an exclave of first the Republic of Florence and later the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, encircled by a hostile Duchy of Lucca. To enable it to survive, the authorities in Florence granted it generous tax exemptions. When Italy was united in 1861, they were abolished, the economy collapsed and large-scale emigration ensued.
1: Some of Barga's Scottish
3: sons have achieved remarkable distinction. The Archbishop Emeritus of Glasgow, Mario Conti, is descended from Bargigiani, as is Paolo Nutini an internationally successful singer-songwriter whose grandfather, Giovanni Giacchi Nutini ran a renowned fish and chip establishment in Paisley. That points to the second mystery. How come these mountain folk proved so adept at cooking fish? Well, ventures Barga's mayor, Marco Bonini, it was certainly better than working in the mines. But
4: such cultural borrowing is not always so mutually beneficial, as a piece in our America's section explored. Impacto, an NGO, has identified 10 cases since 2012 of foreign merchants selling clothing based on indigenous Mexican designs without giving payment or credit. The artisans
1: are trying to fight this fakery on grounds of intellectual property, but the rights to traditional designs
4: are hazy. The principles underlying protection of IP, conceived in the 19th century, do not allow for the transfer of ownership of ideas from one generation to the next. Countries have been trying unsuccessfully for 17 years to devise a new definition of IP tailored to indigenous groups. For once, globalisation may help to solve the problem it created. Mexican designers are working with artisans on new indigenous dresses that can be sold online or in high-end shops. As the designs are new, they are entitled to protection under copyright law. Some traditionalists might call that cultural appropriation, but at least it pays.
1: Some of the fiercest
4: fights about
1: cultural appropriation have centred on the booming trend for so-called transformational festivals in America. A correspondent for our United States section went to the beloved festival to experience some of its mind-boggling range of activities.
2: These included kundalini and galactivated yoga, Sufi soul singing, crystal bowl sound healing, medicinal poetry, Thai massage, Latino storytelling, Native American shamanism, grief rituals from Burkina Faso's Dagara tribe and rave-like takes on Oriental ecstatic dance.
1: If that's just your cup of tea, you can now journey to dozens of such events across America with names like Soul Play and Still Dream. So what is it about transformation that's so marketable today?
2: As far as religion goes, a quarter of American adults say that they are atheist, agnostic or nothing in particular, according to the Pew Research Centre, a proportion that has increased sharply. This seems to have left lots of people craving for the experience of religious worship without any of the irksome beliefs associated with worship.
1: And finally, our obituary paid our respects at the altar of the goddess of soul, Aretha Franklin.
0: At points in her concerts which enthralled America for 50 years, Aretha Franklin would fling her arms out wide. Open arms suggested love, but more often every woman's frustration... R E S P E C T. Her most famous song wasn't just about a put down woman and a do wrong man. It became the anthem of every liberation movement because of her roof raising style. It was her personal anthem, too. She wished to be called Ms. Franklin, to be paid cash, and to be spared air conditioning. All I'm asking, honey
1: but fame and pain grew together.
0: She had to bear witness to what she had been through, including her mother leaving home when she was six, having babies by two different men before she was 15, and at 19 marrying a slick pimp from Detroit, later her manager, who beat her up. But soul music, as it always had, let her turn both suffering and sexual yearning into one freedom cry. Between sacred and secular, she moved to and fro without effort.
1: Standing on stage or seated at the piano, she channelled a higher power.
0: When she sang, you make me feel like a natural woman, head arched proudly back, one hand patting her hair, she was singing to God. Just as when she screamed out her passion as a sinner cleansed by the blood of the Lamb When my soul was in the lost and found. found. You came along to claim it. And when she threw out her arms wide under the spotlights, it was not to thank the fans who clamoured for her as much as to say, Precious Lord, take my hand.
1: goodbye to Aretha. And that's the end of this week's tasting menu. But if you're yearning for an encore, you can find more of these and other stories at economist.com. And if you haven't yet, do subscribe to us. Go to economist.com slash radio offer for 12 issues for $12 or £12. I'm Anne McElvoy. In London, this is The Economist.